computer. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Tenacity Strength Fit for Duty podcast. My name is Larry Brown. Uh, excuse the crap in the background. Uh, we just got back power here in our home. Uh, Omaha had basically winds equivalent to a category two hurricane. So we were out of our house for about four or five days. Um, and we just got power back. And if you've been listening to me on my rants on Instagram, we had bats in here. So that's been very fun uh, to get uh, out of the house. But today I have a very good guest on here. So if you've listened to the uh, Jason Colley podcast uh, episode, this is his coach. We have Trey, uh, I, I keep pronouncing your name. Perfect. Bruffy. Okay. Cause yep. I was about to call you Buffy. Sorry. Yep. Um, so we have Trey Bruffy, Bruffy on the line today and Trey, how are you? Good buddy. Yourself. Good, good, good. Uh, so not a lot of people know about you. Uh, and I just happened to come across you a little bit prior to, uh, Jason Colley's, uh, interview and I found out because I just approved people on Facebook that we've been Facebook yeah. friends for quite a while. Yeah. And then I just started perusing a lot of your stuff and you have a pretty um, impressive conditioned physique. Tell us how you got into bodybuilding. Um, so I used to wrestle. Like that was my main thing was wrestled. We was starting sixth grade up until senior year and then was going to wrestle in college at a few like D3 low level schools. Um, was looking at like a military D1 school. And then by the end of my senior year, um, actually before that, I started working with a strength coach. So uh, Chris Edmonds. Okay. I actually started working with him before anyone knew who he was. Okay. So like when he was in the corporate gym, that's who my trainer was. And um, he did my training, nutrition, everything. We did like a little growth phase, which I think like 180, dotted down to 138 by the end of that year, um, end of the wrestling season. I think right before we had like the districts and regional stuff, I just um, shot a message to him like, hey, I I'm done after the season. Like, let's go. I want to do bodybuilding. Wrestling became a job. And after going to the schools and talking to the coaches, it was going to be a job. That's mm -hmm. not something I was really looking for. Um, I enjoyed more of the process and the coaching aspect. Same thing with like bodybuilding, the same way I enjoy the coaching aspect, not exactly competing. Um, from there, I just switched to bodybuilding at 17, 18, been doing it ever since. Okay, awesome. So, when you were going into strength coaching, because at one point I was going, trying to go into it, um, what are some of the steps that people need to consider? Because at, at one point, being a strength coach was just you're basically a glorified gym teacher. Yeah. But now that's completely changed. So somebody that's listening that wants a strength certification from uh, NSCA or they want to get into the realm of strength coaching, what are some things that they really need to consider before they go that route? So my biggest thing is you need to have a passion right away. So like I have my degree in exercise science, concentration, healthcare delivery, so do everything medical. On top of that, I've got my CSCS and CPT through NSCA. To be honest with you, I don't even use them. I mean, I let them run up this year and not didn't renew them. But the biggest thing is you got to have the passion because right away you're not going to make money, I mean, especially if you're going to go like a box gym route and start mm -hmm. that. Your biggest thing is if you want to be like a true strength coach and work with athletes, either A, 
you need to get into a gym where you're paying to basically rent the gym and start your own prices. Or if you want to be a true strength coach and work with good athletes, you're end up needing to go to for a master's and get further education that we can get in with a college. Because right away, most colleges aren't going to accept someone right out of, uh, right when they get their bachelor's. At least that's how it was for me. OSU and a lot of the Virginia schools won't take someone right out of college. A lot of times, you've got to get a master's. You've got to go that route, get some more experience, and then get from there. But that, the biggest step is one, have the passion. And then, um, obviously, the school route that's just required if you're going to want to be like a true trans coach. Now, if we're talking like personal training, I mean, you still use it as a degree, get a degree just so you can have it. I got mine just to say I have those letters and I have it. It wasn't really anything particular. And you still get that, uh, the certification in personal training. But even then, if you're going for like personal training per se, you've got to have the passion because right away you're not going to make money. Like you're going to have to hustle to make ends meet, which is what I've done um, ever since I graduated in 2017. So, and I'm sorry, I'm yeah. with, with strength coaching, I'm seeing a lot of mistakes, at least from the uninitiated, because I've never, I've never really studied for the exam or organized the training of athletes, but I see a lot of mistakes being made in a lot of things that shouldn't be uh, made mistakes in. Where do you think a lot of strength coaches are going wrong? in the collegiate and high school level? Biggest thing right off the bat, they're, they're just complicating stuff way too much. So like a lot of them will include bodybuilding stuff. Does there need to be some hypertrophy stuff? Of course, some, but they're complicating it doing Olympic lifts. Olympic lifting is a totally different sport. That should never be putting anyone that's a college athlete because if you think about it, anyone that's actually uh, does Olympic lifting, they start with a broomstick or... Um, a piece of tubing and do that for years, mastering the movement before they put even a bar in their hand. So like, that's one of the biggest mistakes I see. And I know like in my college and a lot of the colleges that toured or done like wrestling camps, that was the biggest thing when we were training is they're having us hammer Olympic lifts, which none of us could do after training that way for numerous years, I still can't do a snatch to save my life or a hand clean or anything. That's one of the biggest steps. Um, and it's honestly like it doesn't need to be super complicated. Like if you look up like Joe DeFranco, mm-hmm. one of the greatest strength coaches you'll find. Like, like easily, easily, like top a lot. Um, and he is extremely freaking basic. Like his leg day is essentially a hip edge, a squat, a unilateral movement, and maybe some sort of sled movement. And, and that's literally it. And that's all you need to do. And he also follows like a conjugate method. Um, a modified ver- version, basically. Basically, the biggest thing is just complicating it, having athletes do stuff that they aren't ever going to use. And like when I, at the time, like when I first started training, I would do mainly athletes and I, now I've moved away from that. Um, but I was training them based on what sport they're doing and try to mimic what they're going to actually use in the sports. Like there's no sense in like a football player doing a snatch. If you got a lineman, they're going to get much more out of a uh, low uh, prowler or sled push mm-hmm. to mimic a play where the whistle blows and you're trying to defend the quarterback than mm-hmm. they are doing some sort of snatch or hand play. So like, that's the other thing I see is like mimic what they're doing to a point and 
since I was usually working with wrestlers, that was the biggest thing as well, was mimicking what they're going to be doing. None of the BS stuff. I see a lot of, I see a lot of Olympic lifting still in uh, sports today. I know, um, I know the university of South Dakota uses Olympic lifting and yeah. uh, you know, I have a friend that, that, plays for the team and he sends me some of their stuff and i'm like dude i i don't know oh boy but at this point like i've been around strength coaching the iron game powerlifting, bodybuilding have read and know that nine times out of ten you are developing an olympic lifter when you are trying to train with olympic lifts if if you can't get what you need out of five to 600 pounds of free weights, a squat rack, a bar, and a few dumbbells, there's a fucking problem. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. That's just, that's just my opinion, but we're getting, we're yeah. getting off topic now. So you discover bodybuilding through, uh, you know, wanting to be a strength coach working with Chris Edmonds. Yeah. It was more so like wrestling. So like so. even before that, I was already cranking, doing my nutrition and my own training at 12, 13 and dieting for wrestling. Like, cause once I got serious about wrestling, um, right before high school hit, I was always trying to diet and mm-hmm. build muscle. And the biggest thing it was is back then, I mean, you'd grab like muscle mag or muscular development. And that's where I first dove into bodybuilding. I like seen Jay Cutler and Kai Green and stuff on the cover. And I would just mimic their workouts. You'd find a magazine, you'd see a lot of Charles glass and stuff. And then about that time, um, my family had a bunch of personal training sessions that were going to go up and I just reached out to Chris while I was on vacation, came in and we totally flipped my training, like a hundred, like complete 180, like making it more strength and performance based with some bodybuilding esque movements per se. Um, but that was the start there when I started diving into um, that type of style of training. And then at the time he was prepping for, I believe the elite muscle classic. And we were both dieting together the entire time. And it was that time I really started to enjoy bodybuilding. Like from the start, that was the get go. And we were just took a small pit stop to train for wrestling for my senior year. Cause that was when I was going to have scholarships and scouts and stuff. So about that time, was i think right at the end of the season i was just like nah let's just go to bodybuilding something i enjoy so i knew i was graduating college i mean graduating high school i wasn't gonna do anything so i needed a goal um because as you'll find out i'm all in or all out i don't just want to do something for the heck of it there's got to be some sort of goal or premise behind it but that was like the start per se do you think and i asked austin this question do you think that bodybuilding will grow even more if emphasis is put on team bodybuilding because you came into it pretty young. You weren't a bodybuilder per se, not by title, but more so by action. The fact that you're tracking your training and your nutrition while you're in high school, uh, even if for performance reasons. It was still bodybuilding diet. It was still bodybuilding. That wrestling diet, no shit, dude. It was six ounces of cod, six asparagus spears, and that was it. We, we were straight up protein veggies that the whole wrestling season because you can only cut so much weight. And um, I was having to cut from 150 or so down to 138 every week. 
Mm-hmm. So we would straight up suffer. So it was that suffering part I was already used to. And like our sessions, this was how my schedule was uh, as a senior. It was get up in the morning, uh, drive 45 to 50 minutes to the gym to train with Chris at 5 a.m., shower, drive 45 minutes to the total opposite way to go to school. Start my few cl- classes. One of our classes was weightlifting class. Uh, me and Chris would do like an active recovery um, workout during that class. School, follow the meals and everything, like water and everything. Then we have a two, three hour practice. And that was a daily basis um, at that point. So like per se, wasn't a bodybuilder, but I would say by the time we finally reached that weight class, literally districts around end of January, Mm-hmm. I think we hit it the week before just by luck and we took some photos and they're probably up somewhere. Um, I was lean. I mean, easily could have done a show in like three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. And right away after seeing that, I was like, this is really cool. Like I'd always been like big image was a big thing growing up as a fat kid and everything. So like that was like a big thing there, but I think, yeah, like per se, was I Bible or no, but, Technically, yeah, but I think the biggest thing with the team bodybuilding thing is right away I did stuff on my own at 12, 13, and that was just like like curiosity, like what can I do? But I think the biggest thing is with these teenagers or anyone, like when I get younger guys that are much younger than like most of my clients, most of my clients are older, like upper 20s up to 40s, if they hire a coach early on, and it's a good coach that's going to help them and guide them the right way and teach them the basics of nutrition training, recovery and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's where you're going to see that improvement of team bodybuilding. I think the problem is what I'm saying is these coaches grab these young kids that have potential and say, oh, jump on the cycle and you're ready to go. Because I know that was something that as I got 19, tw- about 1920, that was a conversation I had had as well. Um, after being done with wrestling, I think that's the biggest thing that I'm seeing is going to affect team bodybuilding is we're jumping them so fast onto drugs versus not allowing them time to do the basics. Cause like, even with me, I wasn't doing the basics to begin with. My first bodybuilding program was, was one of Meadows programs. I literally started right away with mountain dog training mm, and okay. have done all their programs. And, and I didn't start with the true, basics of like progressive overload like i typically would have interesting um so let's shift to like straight bodybuilding what was your first show uh natural ohio 2015 so it's an nbc shows uh drug tested in cleveland dave lieberman's show right yep yeah it's definitely like one of the top natural uh regional shows you can do okay now, how did that go for you? And was it a was it a collaboration between you and Chris, or was it more you took the reins on training? Mm-hmm. No, I worked with Chris until I was like twenty two, so okay. seventeen to twenty two. Um, so it wasn't even like a planned show per se. Um, when we let's put it this way, so I finished wrestling at about one hundred and thirty two pounds by the end. We grew from twenty thirteen to about 2014 August. So it was toward the end of one of Chris's preps from 132 to, I believe, almost 220. Mm. I was just eating a shit ton of food. Like we would do like a cheat meal one, one day and then we'd have a heavier like refeed type day on top of the food as well. 
And then, but it was a soft, I, I firmly believe when you're natural, you do have to get a bit softer than if you're enhanced. Like you just have to, especially when you're just getting into bodybuilding, it's not a bad idea to have someone that's like a teenager or something really push to put it on as much size as possible and be okay with the body fat. Now, I won't lie, it was a sloppy 215 to 220, fat as shit. And we dieted from that August up until March and got down to the weight at 142. It was a long diet, like suffering. Um, and I think we got to about January and we were just dieting. I always told people, it was like my hashtag was suffer for the fun of it. Like I was just dieting just to do it, to just see what tissue we'd put on. Obviously I'd put on about 15, 20 pounds of tissue because I was even leaner than I was at 132 for us. Uh-huh. So like if you were to pull a body fat off at group, we got to about, I don't know, like eight, 10 weeks out from that show. And we just said, Hey, let's look at some shows. Found a few like the IF, what, IFPA and OCB type shit, like yeah. non-NPC. And I dug into one. I found some NPC one. I'm sewing right away. Like, I want to be with the most competitive people. I, I don't give a shit. If I'm going to get my ass kicked, it's fine. But at least I want to know I'm up against the best. And it was the same thing with wrestling like I uh, was. So I found this show, and I knew it was like anyone that ever turned pro as a natural, typically they win this show. Like, yeah, Artie was Artie Caldwell. Yeah, that's a good example. Like, very good example. So, did that show and worked with Chris the entire time. I think there was thirteen or fourteen in the lightweight class. Mm-hmm. I technically got six, but but the problem was, it's not a problem. I was drastically younger. I was twenty years old. I was going to college full time and doing training full time, and living off of bare bones. We didn't even use a fat burner or anything. We weren't even using creatine because I couldn't afford it. And was in shape. It's just when you're with 20 something, 27 to 30 something year olds and there, you're, you're going to get killed when somebody's been training longer. And the thing is, is the top three in that class, they're all pros now. Oh, really? Every single one. Of them. Yeah. And then the guy that won the overall was Julian Smith, which I know you do that. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So like it was a competitive show, did that. And then they had a junior division, which I believe that's like 20 to 23 mm-hmm. got third in that. The two guys that won that, like second place and the first place, first place guy was about 20 pounds heavier. Second place guy was a light heavyweight. So 140, 142 pounds. That's not bad when that class was about 10 people as well. So like in my age division still did good for a first show. Um, But yeah, that was the first show at that point. So how did that show catapult you into, because I've seen pictures from your junior usa appearance yeah explain how that catapulted you into future shows and how you were able to just basically stair step your way into the yeah so um right away the biggest thing is i I just realized i was just too small like conditioning wasn't gonna be an issue like i had someone that would eat shit and do whatever it took I, i believe we were no carb november to the show day and the last oh. eight weeks was just protein veggie, like two hours of cardio, three hours of cardio a day. We were training seven days a week. So that's when Meadows was big on seven day a week training at that time. Yeah. And would do that. And these at the time, and this is how much my education has changed. I would take John Meadows, like high intensity, high volume, middle portion of the programs times by two or three. So drop set, triple drop sets at the end of every set, like true last set. 
and would do crazy shit. These pump days were the volume was super high and didn't lose tissue was wasn't going to. I just got tighter. Um, but after that, I think I stepped off stage and had called Chris at that time. And we talked and I was just like, obviously, we need to grow. And we both. We had already brought up the PD type of things. I think going back, and I don't want to bash on people. I think going back, I probably would have done a lot different mm-hmm. now looking back at it. But that was the biggest thing was I'm just like my goal at the time was, hey, um, turn 25 at nationals, uh, turn 25 and turn pro at, Na- at NBC nationals in November. That was like what my goal was. I had set it literally. I had set that when I started bodybuilding. Like if I pull up my yearbook, it's literally quoted in there going to be a pro at 25 at nationals. Like mm-hmm. that was m- what I had headed, headed towards. So we just did a slight like rebound, held condition. And then that's when I got on my first cycle, but that was 2015. I didn't jump on stage until again, until 2018, but that was where started to take it even more serious where you weren't missing meals. You weren't having a cheat meal unless you were told to, you weren't doing anything unless it was on the plan. Like it was straight up old school bodybuilding you listen to whoever's helping you and that's it there's no complaining and things like that but that was what started it and then the next show was like a bigger regional show and then i did one more in 2020 do you think being that in that robotic mode a lot of bodybuilders these days don't don't have that yeah they 100 don't I, I think out of all my clients i have two that are truly that way like they will just do whatever. And that's a good thing, but a negative thing. Um, mm-hmm. How I am now is drastically different. And we can touch on that um, later on. It's drastically different how I view it with myself now. And that also changes on your goals as well. If you're someone that's like, hey, I want to compete and do well and get to my physique, or even if you're Jim Pop and you have like pull up a photo of whoever you want to be like i have a guy who wants to look like sephiroshi will that ever happen probably not but that's his goal he's one of one of those guys that he's going to do everything it takes to get there in a healthy manner obviously but that's something you don't find most of the people that i talk to whether it's just talking or helping you don't have that like as soon as life gets hard they don't want to do it Um, as soon as there's any event or holiday like America, we think of everything's got to be any social event has to have food and alcohol. So like, that's another thing. And that's something that you just don't see anymore. And, and I think you see that with the guys that are making true improvements. They compete. They live that robotic lifestyle. And, and I tell people, if you want true improvements to maximize your improvements and progress, this needs to be your number one, which this was my number one from the day I uh, finished wrestling up until um, after the Arnold in 2020. That was my number one for what's that? Three, no, seven years. So 2013, so seven years straight, that was my number one. Like there was nothing, relationships, family, nothing was getting their way. Like that whole seven years, I didn't eat at Christmas. I didn't eat at Thanksgiving. Like there was none of that shit. Like, because that was going to get in the way of what my goal was. So like, that's a huge thing you don't see anymore. Explain that Arnold prep for me, because I feel that it went from being a strictly um, like American show to an international in just a year's time since its inception. Tell us about how 
that prep went? So let's actually go to 2018. That was my second show mm-hmm. because that will give you a breakdown. It'll, it'll be like a little timeline show you. So like just a little timeline. So we were at 2015. I've jumped on the first cycle, came off a few times and things like that. Uh, about that time, um, obviously with the PD route, you don't always recover when you come off. Mm-hmm. At that time, I wasn't producing any testosterone after two cycles, despite whatever PCT was used. And I think that was just lack of education. At that time, I wasn't as deep educated in it. I wasn't trying to coach as much then. I, I was, my focus was college and dealing with some other stuff. Um, and right away, I think at that time was about the first time I had reached out to Austin and had worked with him and permanently like TRT. Mm-hmm. So if we just go to that inception, like my weight always stayed, I don't know, 200 to 210 as a recomp, like always, that's, that's always where I've always stayed. Um, so if we go to about 2018, um, I'd worked with a bigger name coach, Blue Taylor. I'm sure you know who that is. Yeah. And uh, really had pushed the PD side of things. Um, about the time we were really blowing up, I got to about 225 area. I got in a car accident um, and had died at the scene, had to be resuscitated, and ended up not being able to train from February till about August, truly trained. So had went totally backwards. And about October, no, about September, give or take, started getting myself back on my feet following a plan because at the time i just shrunk up because i didn't eat anything like someone that just has to eat and my crutch then was abusing peds so in terms of peds it was a full-on blast even though i wasn't training abusing d-ball and stuff like that because i was 22 23 at the time when that wreck happened i wasn't having any guidance no one was really helping um you really get updates or anything on anything so my whole thing was i can't eat because i'm depressed and everything just started taking more peds and that shows where some some people say hey if you just take it you're gonna make progress you don't because that's still lost um about yeah that picture i still lost about 50 pounds or so i ended up being 175 pounds after about six weeks give or take um and then about when i was able to train again in september started dieting for a um photo shoot mm-hmm. and about six weeks out from a show I was like hell let's do a show and did a full week prep and jumped on stage so that was a little timeline of that first show up until wreck up until that second show and i know you've had like your um i call it the coming to jesus moment where yeah. you just you you abuse the peds and then all of a sudden you're just like, I have to take a step back for health reasons. Yeah. What, cause normally people in bodybuilding, we're just extreme people. We're going to keep going no matter what. Were there any type of health scares that just made you go, okay, I need to back away. Or was it just a very much self-aware awareness that I'm doing a lot. I need to lay off the gas. So at that time, um, I was just so, I had suffered severe depression my entire life, like really bad. Um, after that wreck, I was actually in the psych center um, for suicide attempts and stuff like that. Um, and my way of 
um, this is one of the things. Obviously, I had technically died at the wreck. Like that was a kind of a come to Jesus moment. But right away, when something was taken away, I was like, well, I'm just going to go all out going forward. Like <clears throat> life is short. You're not guaranteed to get where you want to be. Like you could die at any moment. Something could happen. Mm-hmm. You lose everything. Um, so when I just was like, sure, let's just push the gas. That prep in 2018 started developing some health issues from the sense of fasted blood glucose levels of 200 to 300. So diabetic, they had diabetes as a type two diabetic, um, which I had fixed and everything. And we'll touch on that with the Arnold prep. But the come to Jesus moment wasn't until the Arnold. It wasn't until after that prep or about four weeks out because abusing these drugs, it wasn't only for like progression. Since I had been in a psych center and I did not want to be in there, I was also cutting myself before that. And you can't, if they see that stuff, they will take you back. They will make you go back there. And my way of avoiding that was if I take these PDs and go for some of the harsher stuff that has a bite to it or PIP or synthol and stuff like that, that's a way of, and I don't like going into the cutting stuff, but like when people do that stuff, it's almost like it's a type of feeling you get and it's not a positive feeling, but with someone that's in that state, that's how they're just letting loose of how they feel. Like they just want to hurt themselves. My way of abusing those drugs and abusing and doing 20 to 30 shots a day was doing that without my fiance or anyone knowing about it. This is something that no one knew until after the prep, when I had that come to Jesus moment and the come to Jesus moment was, did awful at the Arnold body shut down about four weeks out started uh, what appears to develop uh, jaundice skin started turning yellow eyes and nails yellow uh, from abusing so much stuff. And then was throwing up all day, every day. And from the gallbladder ducts being bo- uh, blocked up. And that kind of Jesus moment was the first blood panel I'd got after that show and was like, I need to get my shit together. Um, I want a family and um, which we had figured out because we had actually had a miscarriage at that time. So like after all of that, it was a coming to Jesus moment like, Hey, I'm doing all this. I got dead fucking last at the Arnold, whether I should have or not, it doesn't matter. It still didn't still only like whether or not they like it or not, whether it's politics or anything still got dead last. That's forever going to be on there. And it's forever going to be embarrassing. But that coming to Jesus moment was, Hey, you got your ass kicked. You took all this shit. You've been busting your ass since 16. And even before that on your own, maybe it's time to take a step back, really focus on correcting your other shit that is leading you to even more unhealthy route. Focus on family. I wanted to focus on coaching. And I also didn't have a fucking job. I hadn't had a job in, Jesus, two or three years. I had always worked for myself. And it was living... Honestly, I was living off of credit cards. We had about 30 or 40 grand of debt living off of credit cards and it was to pay for all this shit. It, de- it developed, and I tell people, it developed an addiction uh, to it. It's, it's a very addictive lifestyle, but that was the come to Jesus moment was that and just blood work being awful. And it wasn't just one particular panel or anything. Everything as a whole was shit. HDL was a one. Um, LDL was through the roof, triglycerides were through the roof. And the thing was, is that that HDL has always been an issue. It's been a one or two for about six years now. So it's always been a thing I've ignored. 
but right after that show, like, fuck it. I, like I said, all or nothing, maybe train once or twice a week. I stayed lean, but if I lost tissue, didn't care. And I just stay on TRT for right now while I still fix the health stuff until my blood works in a place where it's good for a considerate amount of time. I don't plan on doing anything crazy or even try to compete. And then also until I'm mentally in a good place to be able to do that, that's not a plan. But then also now the focus is more coaching than competing. Because a lot of different things come to Jesus moment. It wasn't just one thing per se. Do you feel that mental health is sacrificed for the stage because mental health isn't really discussed in bodybuilding? Um, so with my guys, I am very big on it. And that, I think like, there's always a good that comes out of every bad. I think having all this was, was a a good from my coaching point of view is I do ask about everybody's mental state. As soon as I know somebody's mental state is not there, we need to make some adjustments and whether they like it or not, we need to change your goal. But it's also the same thing with certain things that you do. Um, if I've got someone that mentally they need some freedom on their plan, it's gotta be on there. Like I've got to create that freedom. It can't be this robotic lifestyle, but yeah, I don't think that's something that's harped on enough. And I think the lifestyle, if your plan is competing, it can dig a bigger hole between the competing aspect from a sense that most of us that do compete, we are pretty much fucked up in the head. None of us are actually like normal per se and that doesn't mean like a negative like you're awful person it just means for one reason or not we had something traumatic or something that affected us to dive into it no one came out of the womb saying hey i want to be jay cutler no one like doesn't matter um but mentally that is a big thing but i think when you go into like certain compounds that are used that is digging a deeper hole in people's mental state as well and i, I like experienced that as well i see clients experience it but that's a big thing. If you're going to do this, you need to have all your duck, ducks in a row and figure out what your priorities are. So like with me mentally, it was just bodybuilding. Didn't care about family. My fiance was always on the back burner. Everything in life was on the back burner and it took a mental toll of me on me in general between financially, uh, stress out financially between mental wise with that, how you feel the mental toll of everything you got to do. It's just something that I don't think we pay enough attention to. I don't know if it's because we people think, oh, I'm going to be vulnerable or pussy to bring up I'm depressed or doing this and that. But to me, that's something I try at least harp on with everyone. Um, if you've got some sort of mental thing, a lot of times we need to fix that before we actually dive deep in it. Because with all of my preps, it was a mental thing. Something happened in my life. I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to prep every single one. Was there something that came up in life that I was like, I'm just going to prep and suffer to get over it. That way you have something you're focusing on and can narrow in on. You're not focused on anything else. That's interesting. And it kind of moves into my next question. And we're going to dive into coaching specifically. What are some of the considerations that people need to take when they're trying to sign up with you or another coach what are things that need to be we mentioned ducks in a row but what are some things that need to happen because coaching is is a very expensive thing to Mm -hmm. do 
and you want to get the most bang for your buck. So how can people set themselves up well by themselves before they get a coach? And also in that, another question is, will people need a coach to unfuck themselves? So, yeah, so I'll touch on that. In terms of your ducks in a row, finances need to be in place 100%. Um, especially if you come work with me right away, like whether you're natural or not, you're getting a very in-depth blood panel done. And a lot of times I will ask for a calcium score and an uh, EKG as well. Um, I'm very particular about it. I just really am, especially if I'm putting my name on there and if something would ever happen to someone since none of this is, we're essentially doing this all not being registered doctors or anything, registered dietitians. So it is a very touchy thing. I have disclaimers on every single thing. Any message I send, I send out has a disclaimer on it. And it's all intended as advice. So the first thing is financially. Health needs to be in, in place as well. Um, doesn't mean you don't work with me if you fucked up. I take a lot of people that have fucked up. And that's more my, my thing now. But financially, next thing is passion and what your true goal is. Don't come to someone and say, hey, let's say you're, 80 pounds overweight and you're like, Oh, I want to do a show in 12 weeks. Well, first of all, that's not going to happen. I'm sorry. Not if you want to do well. And I don't think any coach that cares about putting people on stage and actually getting them to the best would do that. Now you have some that'll be like, fuck it. I'll take this guy's money, put him on stage. He's the one embarrassing himself. I don't give a shit. I'm just getting the money and going to go. I don't have to post him up because I've got hundreds of clients. We see that all the time with, certain coaches they only post up their genetic freaks or they don't post up everyone if there's a shit shitty thing that happens they don't talk about it but the next thing would be what your true goal is like and how serious you are don't i'm big on not wasting anyone's time whether it's my time or their time like because our time we have 24 hours a day we have 365 days a year like you have very limited time that you can't get back and every day you're wasting you're not only wasting yours but you're wasting the coach that you're helping and if you've got a family you are taking time away from them and wasting their time as well. So I'm very serious that you need to have your finances, your health, and how serious you are. Are you willing to do this and that? Or are you coming in here that like, hey, I want to do this, but I want to do this and that. Like there's going to maybe like a 70-30 type of thing. It's fine if you want to do that, but lay that out in the beginning. I think that's the biggest thing is in the beginning, you need to lay down the line of like everything you want. And then we just go from there. I don't have anyone that like, hey, you have, have to have certain experience or this or that. I have some people that don't even train. We just do nutrition and NEAT or NOPA, like simple walking outside or stuff around the house. And that's fine. Or they just do home workouts, body weight stuff. That's fine as well. But those are the main things to me. When you have your finances, at least be willing to do the health type of stuff and have your true goal and how serious you are. Like just lay down exactly what you're wanting we go from there if we mesh great if not then we go other ways but that's the biggest thing that i'm big on now in terms of taking someone on it just depends on what they're wanting like if someone comes to me and wants to take a bunch of drugs not going to happen it just isn't you're going to take something trt related for a while until we get your body like working properly and that's where we go with do you need to hire someone to unfuck yourself if you don't know what you're doing, 110% you do. Like Whether you like it or not, you do. I've done a lot of my stuff on my own, but I still pay Austin 
to do my shit. And the simple thing is, it's easier, especially with my stuff, where I can just send a check in to someone, let him think about it. Am I able to do my own stuff? Of course, I've done my own stuff the majority of the time in this last year or so with some spurts of other people. But it takes the stress off of me where I don't have to worry about it. He can make the judgment calls on what to do. And I can keep cranking what I do on a daily basis. So, like, I do think that's where you need to give it to someone. And it depends on what we're unfucking. If, um, like, with my mind's cortisol related and insulin resistance related, but a lot of it is stress and adrenal and cortisol related. That's something, even though I know how to do it, I need to give the awesome because, again, it goes in that stress thing. But if it's something like someone's lipids are bad, you should know how to fix that. Right away, you can lose body fat, add in a few different supplements, change your uh, food sources, and you fix it. So I think in terms of unfucking yourself, it depends on exactly what it is. Now, I want to get back to uh, I want to get back to mental health and training because this, this slides into coaching. How do you push somebody to perform better and do more without pushing them over the edge? Because we know at some point, depending upon how all in you are, you will go close to the point of no return, right? So, but at, at that, at right before you jump off that ledge is usually where, ironically, victory happens, right? Yeah. You get in what we call that championship zone. Mm-hmm. So how do we keep people from jumping off that ledge? Or rather, how do you keep people from jumping off that ledge while at the same time just constantly pushing them forward? Yeah. So like different examples there. Regardless, every check-in, I'm asking how their mentality is. How are they feeling mentally? And you, right away, you can you can kind of tell with when they message you because they have a check-in form to fill out. But every single person I talk to, I send a message and actually try to have a conversation because usually by the response, you can tell where their state of mind is. And a lot of times, because all of mine's through WhatsApp um, and then on their Google, their Google Drive, they'll send in a voice message. And that's what I do um, with everyone is if they send me a voice message, 110%, you can tell kind of where they're at their edge. Like just on your response, it's just knowing people, you know it. But biggest thing is I'm always asking how they're feeling. But the other thing is their, is their goal. So like, let's use Jason Colley, for example. He's 13 weeks out today. He does check in right before I got on here. Way ahead of schedule, like way, way, way ahead of schedule than I would like. And this is even like, a, if you are you able to go to my story? Uh, yeah, I'm pulling that up right now. Yeah. So like. Let's do this. Yep, right here. Uh, so that's him 13 weeks out right now. And we honestly have not made changes. We've just been recopping the entire time. We did a pre-diet in the beginning. But that's someone where he's nowhere close to being put on the edge. And he's not at that point because the whole year we've been working together. And this is why I don't like taking anyone on just for a prep. I want to actually work with you to put what I wanting a client in and still in you, but also get your body responding like I want to prepare you. If you prime the client properly, less likely they're going to get to that edge point because we're not destroying them and we're setting them up to where it can be easy, uh, easier process. Don't get me wrong. 
he's going to have to, he's going to still suffer. And, and he knows that, but that's a good example. We, we have prepared him mentally through different phases, but also pre prepped his body before the prep to where he's mentally fine. Like this is a no stress prep right now. It's not even something he has to worry about, but if you have some people that um, I've got other guys as well, where they'll say, Hey, I want to diet down to this and that's cool. And we'll diet. But once we start getting to that point of that, they are getting off the edge and they're not competing. It's time that we need to, I usually do a phone call. Uh, 99% of the time I don't charge me it ends up being like an hour long. I do that because I actually want to have a conversation off the record, like not simple check-in stuff and to see how they actually are mentally. And right away, if someone's not doing well, I say, hey, this is what I think we should do. Do you want to do it? Again, I work for them. So I do have to do kind of what they do. Like that's how I think it is. I can't just tell you what to do. Like if you want to lose body fat, depending where you're at, I can't just say, hey, no, I'm going to make you fat as shit. Like you can't, they're not hiring you for that. They're hiring you to do a job. You're basically a contractor for them. Um, but if they're getting to that point, we start giving them two scenarios or different scenarios to show, and we just decide. And it's always just based on it. And I've had numerous guys where they are all on that edge or about to jump off, say, hey, I know we're not exactly where you want to be. Let's take a couple steps back and then go forward. I've got a guy now where his body's not in a good place, and it's from years of um, it's not drug use or anything. It's years of stress on his body from his adrenals. His adrenals are shot. His whole body, thyroid and everything is just shot. And we got him peeled. We got him in good shape. The problem is, is now we have to take a huge step back because he is not, his body is not working right. And he's mentally at that place where he's going to jump. And it's not a championship or winning. It's just, he's going to like destroy his body. And that's another example. I, I think it's just all based on the client. There's no way you can keep it from happening, but there's things you can do along the way, preparing them where you can prevent it, if that makes sense, um, down the road. That's what I try to do with everyone. I try to just prime their body. If someone comes to me, right away we're priming their body that way it's set up to make this as easy as a process and smooth for them physically and mentally. Um, that's the biggest thing is I'm always taking into account the mental part. But if we're like, if you're in a prep or a photo shoot, as long as your health markers are right and we're checking numerous biometrics and they're right and you're not losing tissue and you're not getting those, I want to die or that like really bad mental stuff, but you're just, I'm tired of soft and that type of stuff. I'm sorry. We're going to have to push if this is still your goal, but you have an out right now if you don't want to do it. And that's how I, I get it. Um, right away. And a lot of times with the people that are struggling mentally, you can tell whether it's just being a pussy and they don't want to push and they're just exhausted or truly are they on the edge? Like they're at their breaking point and we just need to stop. And it is always like case to case basis. Um, and a lot of guys, when we get to towards the end of prep, that's where I usually will see it is they're on that ledge. And a lot of times we just pull them back or they decide, hey, this is not for me. It's a lot of people that prep the first time as well. They don't. They didn't know what was going to go in it. When 
you have people buy, it's easy to get bodybuilders and people that want to step on stage to buy in to get ready for the show. It's easy for them to buy in, need to do the cardio, need to eat food, you need to train heavy, all that. Explain to me how to get people to buy in to a health phase, recovery phase, uh, a, a step back phase. Um, right away, the biggest thing is they know if you're not going to do it, I have no issues dropping you. I, I really don't care. Um, I'm not going to fuck you up. And I'm not going to let you get fucked up under my watch. Um, I've had guys drop me because they don't just want to take a bunch of stuff. I'm sorry. I, ethically, I can't do that. And there's a time and place for that. And most people don't need that at, at the regional level. You're not doing national level. You don't need it. Um, but the biggest thing is I explain the entire thing. I, I don't think I tell them it's not really a step back. We're just taking, say we're on a hot, we could go on an interstate and straight path to where we want to be. But instead of taking that straight path, we get off on an exit and we take a few back roads to get there. We're still getting to the same place. It's just delayed a little bit. And we're doing it. And if you think about it, a lot of times the back roads where there's not as much traffic, typically a safer route for most people to take when you're driving, correct? Versus the interstate. You see most wrecks on the interstate. So even though it's not as fast, it's safer where we're going to get to the same result. It's just going to take a little bit longer. And maybe you enjoy the views and the process. And that's how I explain it. I just explain, hey, we're not taking steps back. We're just taking a slight detour to get where you want to be to make sure it's done the safe and optimal way. That way you can keep doing this for years versus mm-hmm. be burnt out in two to three. It's when like, when we go back to that robotic stuff, would I rather have someone that's hundred percent for a year or someone that's 80% for six or seven years? I'm going to take the 80% because long-term we can do that. So that's the first thing is explain that. And then along with, Hey, either you do it or you don't. Um, other times, if I have someone that comes to me, says so just starting out and um one of the guys when he started with me and he was a referral um started working together and right away he did just did not like the program because it's totally different than what he had done in the past used to doing carnivore and fasting and not eating enough and doing tons of activity right away when i told him i said hey next few months i'll just discount your coaching i'll take the fucking loss to show you that how confident i am of what we're going to do and it's worked out great he's able to do it and it's totally different now. And I am very flexible with that. It's just showing them very seldom. Does it need to be militant? And the only time I'm very militant about that is if it is a severe case, like, Hey dude, either you do this or you go somewhere else. I'm sorry. Like it's nothing against you personally. It's totally a business relationship and I'm not willing to do this to your body and you're not willing to listen, it might be best if we cut ties. And a lot of times when you do that, they go fuck themselves up more, and they come back. Or they'll go say, oh, I'll reach out to this coach that handles the same issues that he would fix, whether it's adrenals or gut or something. Let me see how he does. And they figure out it's way more expensive. And it's the exact same thing, exact same thing. So, like, you literally could work with, me get the exact same stuff because I've worked with the same people and done continuing ed. It's just different. And a lot of times when you go to those higher end people, 
it is no bullshit. They will say, hey, do this or you're fucking dropped. They, a lot, I've had coaches where I've went to them. This is what all I've taken. I've sent the money. They will go through the questionnaire. No shit. They refund me the money. And they say, sorry, I'm not risking this. I'm not risking um, someone's health. And that's how, what you'll see with everyone. So I think it's just explained a proper way in a non-asshole uh, fashion. And also go along with their goals. I don't ever think about it as like a step back. They can think about that either way. But if you have a scenario where, let's say, someone's adrenal is fucked up, they're getting softer, nothing's happening, taking that detour, taking stress off your body, inflammation off your body and gut, a lot of times they end up getting instant progress. It's just stuff that they didn't expect it. When they, they think everybody thinks of progress in different ways and it's just showing them different ways you can accomplish progress so there's a million different things to track in that's the other thing is just showing them there's other things we can track to do regardless Mm -hmm. now here's an here's a question that's just been on my mind because we keep talking about adrenals and all that um how do you know that you're adrenally fatigued is there a test is it a feeling? Is it that you've taken too many pre-workouts and you're just kind of dependent upon them now? So right away, like all of my guys, I've like, and I am a no caffeine tolerance person. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't have it. And they'll say, Hey, I'm doing it. We try to limit it. But right away. I try to adjust that stuff. But in terms of big way to check it, a Dutch test um, problem with that, it is super expensive about $400, give or take. Mm-hmm. And most people aren't going to spend that. But there's other markers that you can check on a blood test as well. It's like you could do like an AM cortisol test. Easy thing you could do. If you see that super high, we can see their adrenals are working very hard. Another thing you could see is certain markers. It's like their DHEA. I have a guy now where he was a cyclist and he's always done high intensity cycling for hundreds of miles all the time and we got his bloods back after just starting his dha is super low his other markers in terms of thyroid psh was really high so he's got sluggish thyroid where it's having to work harder and other markers to go along with that in terms of his gut being inflamed where we can kind of tell since dha is a rate it is an adrenal hormone so i believe it's like a precursor to sex hormones for uh adrenal one that was a sign where hey I right away was asking about his cycling, was asking some other in-depth questions, and it's led us to where now, where we've done a cortisol test and we've seen it's been bad. So if someone doesn't want to do a Dutch test, you can do other markers and kind of see if you're used to seeing that type of stuff. But it could be a million things. It could be they're exhausted all day long. That means good chance they're not producing any cortisol. Um, It could be not sleeping at night. So you could have like a flip cortisol pattern or circadian rhythm where cortisol is really high at night a lot of times i can go with overtraining you can look at their training in general like if they're not progressing going backwards you notice they're getting overtraining or they're overworking another easy marker is if you start seeing their rest and heart rate start being higher all of a sudden that's where i start asking questions we figure out their stress and this is something like with jason will do um, i check everyone's resting heart rate their uh, blood glucose all week every week along with photos, blood pressure, like a million different things I check all week. Someone like with him, 
because he's brutally fucking strong. He's a strong dude. Yeah. With him, as soon as I start seeing, obviously I'll see in his photos because we'll do photos multiple times a week. Conditions a little bit blurred right away. I'm starting. Okay. Let's see how inflammation's a little bit higher. Let's dig a little bit. He has rest and heart rate upon waking. That's much higher than normal. His blood glucose is a lot higher, um, both um, fasted and postperennial and around training period. Right away, we know he's stressing and he's not performing well in the gym. What we do, we take a step back from the sense of we lower the RPE um, with him or we leave about three, four reps in the tank for about a week or two. Keep checking those markers. They're instantly improved. And that's like a simple thing you do to tell someone's adrenals are starting to be fucked or they're overtraining or there's too much inflammation on their body. So there's a, a million different things, but you can look at thyroid. A lot of times with their thyroid's downregulated, their adrenals are usually shot along with their gut. If their guts are, a lot of times gut is affected. Like if you see gut off, something else is going to be off. A lot of times, most issues start with the gut regardless. And usually if you are not catching the gut to begin with, you're going to start catching everything else. And as I'm taking on more functional cases, that's right away. We'll do like an acid test, or like baking soda. How long it takes them to burp to see their low acid. A lot of times they'll be low acid and I start seeing their thyroid off. And right away, we know their gut is just off and causing thyroid to be downward or regulated. So you can do like AM cortisol. You can look at the other stuff you're looking at, blood work. But the biggest thing is, is a Dutch test, whether it's a dried urine test or they have these saliva tests. Either one will light a really, truly look at their adrenals. So that's, that's interesting because I know a lot of, we, I'm trying to word it right. So I don't sound like a complete idiot. Um, we live in a very caffeine fueled society. We -hmm. live in a very stimulant fueled society. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much we're, we're dependent upon these things, but really it just kind of, uh, messes us up in the long run, especially as we see, a lot of bodybuilders take in energy drinks on the daily in addition to pre-workout. I mean, hell, look at me. I took a pre-workout this morning. I'm drinking sugar-free Mountain Dew. Yeah. And I'll have a coffee later on. Um, but some people just may have a high tolerance level. But even if they have a high tolerance level to caffeine, they should probably still get something like this looked at. Yeah. So like, if we just talk general blood panel, I always try to add that on there. Uh, some sort of like AM cortisol. Um, and we'll check that. Now, if I notice something really fucked up with men, you really don't have to do a Dutch test that often. You can a lot of times see what's going on with their blood work and just biofeedback. The Dutch test can attract, like, look at adrenals, yes, but it's also looking at their sex hormones. That's more of like a female thing. I see females are needing it way more. I don't really help females that much right now. Um, I just don't have the patience for it to, to deal mm-hmm. with it. And those, when you have those type of individuals, they are harder cases. But the Dutch test is just something if someone's like all in, hey, I just want to look at everything. I do one just because I'm at the point, I'm not competing, I've got the money. I will put it towards the test and see where everything's at to ensure since right now it is correcting health. But yeah, the caffeine thing, that's a, that's a big thing. Like I try, there's only, needs to be used before 12 p.m., before noon. If you're using it after, you're going to start affecting sleep. Like, I do limit that with everyone, or at least try to. All of their intros on their programs, it says, hey, let's try to have two to three times per week or something like that with no caffeine. Let's try to limit it to this time. If 
like with Jason with like a fat loss phase. Once we get like in his prep and we're trying to take fat burners, like say we we're going to do like a Yohem bean, for example, mm-hmm. we're only going to use 50 milligrams of caffeine. Like, and that's just that get that effect. And I think about it with <clears throat> supplements or PDs, <clears throat> everything has a positive and a negative side effect. And what I'm always after is the positive side effect up until the point where you get a negative. And it's the same thing with caffeine. If you use caffeine, you shouldn't need more than 100 milligrams to get the benefit of what you're wanting. Um, if you need more, then that's where we need to take a step back and start looking at it because it is going to start affecting your performance. Let's get into training a little bit. Um, what are some of your key philosophies that you believe in to make progress in the gym? And also, where are people going wrong? Yeah. Right away, I'll say in terms of going wrong, just too much volume or they're not being progressive in some sort. And, and progression can be in a million different ways. It can be in weight. It could be in sets in terms of that type of volume. It could be in weight. It could be uh, in terms of like tempo, um, improvement in form or execution, or even if someone's like, dragging the rest period way too long we can adjust that and um, progress that way so first thing is too much volume and they're just not aiming for different progression but in terms of what i do all workouts a lot of times we're going to start with some sort of activation movement and similar like what you'll see like what joe bennett will put out and ben Bikulski used to put out and people like that and just to activate the target muscle we're not trying to exhaust it get a little bit of blood flow. It's not exactly like John's programs where he has like first exercises like activation and pre-pump. We're not trying to inflate the muscle yet. We're simply doing that to get it activated. So like if it's like a back day, a lot of times people's lats are just shit or they're not able to fill it. I'm usually going to start with like a cable pull down or pullover mm-hmm. where we can shorten the lat as short as possible, full contraction, or we'll do like a single arm um, cable row and my goal is just to shorten it and get everything activated. So we do like a lot of activation stuff to begin with. Then the first exercise is usually the first two I'll label them as their prime progressive movements. And these are the ones where, hey, your sole purpose is you've got this rep range. Once you top out this rep range, either increase the rep, like say you do like 225 for sense of rep range of like six to 10. Say one week you do 225 for six. Before we increase the, rate, the uh, weight, let's keep doing 225 up till 10. Once we've done that, now we can increase weight. So those, your sole purpose is, those are your strength movements per se. Still form and tempo need to be on point, but that I am chasing more progressive overload in terms of how you need to beat the law book um, in terms of weight and reps. After that, we go into more of like the pump-based movements. And I'll call them pump-based slash volume movements. And this is usually will be in a certain number of sets with a set rep range. And let's use, say it's like dumbbell pullovers. And we're trying to do more serratus uh, work um, at the end of a work, like a pull day or a back day. So it's supposed to be three sets of 10 to 15 reps. I won't allow, I'll say, don't increase your weight on this until you've done, say, 40 pounds for three sets of 15. At that point, now let's go to 45 pounds and restart that three sets. And we're still being progressive per se, but we're also still gonna get some sort of volume. 
we're still going to get some pump in there because this is more pump related stuff. It's not your power movement. It's not like a barbell press or Smith press or a rack pull or anything like that. And at the end, the same thing, we're going to do some sort of stretching, like whether it's like a DC stretch or some sort of integrated movement. Um, like with chest, we may do like a, a dumbbell fly that has a five second pause in the stretch position on every rep. And we're trying to stretch the fascia, get more blood flow in there. And that's essentially what I will do with everyone. And we'll start with the base and then we'll have some secondary days where it's more metabolic based. So like I was thinking of it as we've got our mechanical tension type movements in terms of heavier movements and strength based. Then we've got more of our blood volume metabolic um, type work and our self-swelling type work, which I'll add some self-swelling type stuff, whether it's like, I may say at the end of the shoulders or end of like a leg day, for example, if I want to just put additional emphasis on their delts, I'm going to say, Hey, grab a set of fives and do 150 reps of side laterals. And you'll be able to do full reps at first, but then you'll be doing like side partials. Like you'll see John put out with uh, laterals. And all we're trying to do is show as much nutrients and blood flow in there just to keep that muscle fuller and promote more sarcoplasmic volume. Like that's all we're doing there. So I just try to cover every emphasis, but it's not any set thing. Like it doesn't have to be progressive overload. Like certain clients, if we got to the point where they've kind of maxed out strength, then I tend to go more of like the uh, reps and reserve type shit or um, volume based stuff. It, it totally depends, but that's usually an activation, a prime mechanical movement, some sort of pump of metabolic movement, and then something for stretching at the end. And then we'll call this touching quits. Do you feel that how progressive overload is presented these days that bodybuilders are turning into uh, low budget power lifters? When they're focusing on it too much. Yeah. But I mean, cause that's why I tell everyone progression is different. Like progress doesn't have to be weight on the bar. It, it just doesn't. That's why with all of them, with these progress, like I'll put like a whole thing on like what progress is for them. And if we're making some sort of improvement there, good i i really don't care we're making progress but i think what we see now is if someone doesn't add a, a five on their bar or something like that they think of it as a failed day and that's not what it is at all it also depends on um where you're at in your programming like if i've got someone that's prepping there's per se our goal needs to oh I, every session no matter what needs to be i'm going in here to build muscle I don't like people think of, hey, I'm burning body fat. No, we're not. We're here to maintain or build muscle. And that's always their mindset. But if you look at a prep scenario, you don't need to be breaking records. Honestly, my sole goal is at the very least, let's hold strength or as close as possible because we're going to be able to hold that tissue. We don't need to increase volume or do anything else. So like, I think it's just people have their mind twisted of what progression really is in terms of progressive overload. It doesn't have to be of what you would see a power lifter per se and even powerlifting they're not going with their progressive overlay they're not doing solely strength they are looking at execution of, of a pull or a squat or something like that that's the issue is we're so set on the logbook and it's got to be increasing weight or reps it doesn't there's a million different things we can do it like if i haven't got some of the video and i'll send i'll take my videos if let's say i increase the weight and match the reps but I noticed or did more reps. And I noticed that that one of those reps is just very shitty. That's not kind of, we didn't progress. Like that's why it is beneficial to have a training partner that is going to 
pay attention to the tempo and keep track of that. So we are being progressive because what you'll see is guys when they're doing this progressive overload logbook shit is they're making the eccentric faster. They're being explosive. They're bouncing the weight. They're not holding uh, the contraction at the top for certain movements. They're not holding the stretch. Form is sloppy. Like they're just doing whatever it can to get the point A to point B. And that's the biggest thing of where everything's getting twisted there. Now, one thing that's always been on my mind is balancing training and life and the stress that comes with that. Because if one is off, um, mainly if your life is off, it affects your training. How can we keep our stress low? We're working full-time jobs. You know, we got bills and that. How can we keep performance up in the gym while also minimizing that stress on the outside of the gym? So I think, I know, like, I don't know if you know who Brandon DeCruz is. I've heard um, the name. Yeah, he's a smart dude. Um, but he uh, has a philosophy of like the three Fs, family, fitness, finance. Those are the three things you focus on like. You only focus on two of them at a time. My first thing with everyone, if your thing is performance and training, nutrition, everything, that's your first F in terms of fitness. You figure out what your other F is. But to go along with that, it's setting up your plan based on what your schedule is. So with me, I work full-time job, 40, 50 hours a week. On top of that, I do coaching, 20 or so hours a week. On top of that, I do mentorship and stuff. And we're planning a wedding for October. So my schedule is always slammed and allowing that free, that time for my fiance and stuff like that it's always busy as hell so what i do like with my training i follow fortitude training because very low volume i can get frequency done i can i only have to train three or four times a week it's easy for me and then the same thing like with my cardio i don't do a shit ton of cardio maybe three sessions a week but i also focus on steps as well and if i'm doing like client work or something on my phone I can go for a walk after a meal and count those steps towards what my goal is. So I think the biggest thing is adjusting your program. And we get so set up that we have to train four to six times a week. I have a guy who's got a baby on the way. When his baby comes, we're probably only going to train two to three times a week. Like he doesn't, people don't realize like the, the original DC training, you really could have only trained twice a week and made progress. Like you really can, you don't need much, um, um, much work in general to maintain tissue to begin with, but even to put on um, tissue, like just with this fortitude training, it's drastically different than what I usually follow. But it's first thing is just changing your program. Don't get set in the way. So like, even like with my nutrition, I was always on the six to eight meals a day. Now, honestly, depending on how busy it is, I may only do three and just cram it all pre intra post and do one more meal. And I can just cram it in there and fast other parts of the day and allow me to focus. And that's just better for my, my workflow. So like, that's the thing. It's like not getting stuck in the ways, first of all. And you just adjust your program to it. But also, like, how serious are you? Like, um, I had a guy I was helping, and he was going to prep for, like, the Amateur Olympia. And I just told him, dude, I don't think your schedule allows it. You've got working three jobs. You're working overnight, like, finances. Just focus on getting those stuff in the row and just, do a maintenance it's nothing wrong with doing a maintenance period to get your other shit handled and that's essentially what i've done my goal um when covid hit and the health issues came up was to 
maintain what I have, get my health in track while getting my coaching where I want it to be, uh, do our wedding and our family stuff and finances. It's taking a step back on there to maintain it. And it's not a failure if you only have to do stuff two to three times a week. We're so set of like what bodybuilding is and what everything is. There's so many different ways you can progress or do this lifestyle per se. Um, but if you're competing per se, you've got to make the decision. I'm not going to say you can't do everything and compete. It's just, you have to be willing to know you're going to affect some relationships on the way. And I can tell you, um, if you want to be good, you have to be selfish, extremely selfish. If you want to win or that's your goal. And I can tell you personal experience with myself, I have to be very selfish and it's affected every relationship in my life. Um, in a negative way. It's affected me financially and everything. And that's something you have to accept as well. But if it's just general stuff, you take a step back or adjust it. Like it doesn't have to be set. I set mine so it's all my days off from my full-time job and all my shorter days. That's just what is easier for me. And it's just accommodating everything to your schedule. It doesn't have to be the set shit that we have made it out to be. Interesting, interesting. So... I want people to reach out to you. I want them to follow you. So if you don't, if you guys don't know his Instagram handle, it is at the opposite 23 um, on Instagram. Now for coaching, any type of mentorship or anything like that, where can people reach you at? So right now, Instagram or Facebook under Trey Bruffy, my email's on there, the opposite 23 at gmail.com. That's where you can reach me for right now. Um, now that I've got finances in a place, it's now transitioning to more coaching stuff where to get a website up and going to where people reach out. But Instagram or Facebook or emails best. I, I stay on it all day long. Like right away, I give someone a number, my WhatsApp number, and we message there. If someone wants to do a phone call, I gladly will. I have no issues with that. Super responsive. It's not something where you shoot an email and you hear back in a few days. It's usually within minutes. Um, since I do work from home for full-time and coaching, but yeah, Instagram, Facebook, or email, any of those is fine. Okay. Outstanding. Trey, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate yep. it. Uh, very early morning interview. One that uh, I'm probably sure you're not used to and one that I haven't done in a long time. So I thank you for joining us today. Yeah. I appreciate it, buddy. No problem. So for my co-host who isn't here, Vaughn Ateen, Trey Bruffy. I'm Larry Brown. And thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, we love to hear from you. You guys take care.